Why take one vacation with the family when you could take all of them? With Royal Caribbean, you don't just go to the beach. You visit a private island and race down the tallest water slide in North America. You don't just go for a road trip. You ATV and zip line through the jungle. You don't just go somewhere new. You rappel down waterfalls and discover ancient temples. Because this isn't just any vacation. This is all the vacations. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry, Bahamas. Test shock. How concerned should the Aussies be? We hone in on the technical and tactical shortcomings. We celebrate the marvel that is Shamar Joseph and no moral victory necessary. England pull off a remarkable comeback victory in India. Let's go around the wicket. And welcome to Around the Wicked. I'm Narrowly Meadows. I've got Callum Ferguson and Aaron Finch alongside me, both of whom were at the Gabba to witness one of the great test upsets of all time, perhaps even the greatest upset of all time. But it wasn't the only one over the weekend. Australia, in the women's side of things, lost to South Africa for the very first time, and England pulled off that remarkable comeback against India in Indian conditions. Have we ever seen a weekend quite like it, Ferg? I'm not sure we have. It was just wonderful view. Um, obviously being very lucky to be at the Gabba the other day to see Shamar Joseph mm. romp home with the West Indies lineup through that afternoon. What a spell that was. 11, 12 overs on the bounce, 7 for incredible stuff. And then to watch the way England played that <laughs> evening afterwards just to ice the cake for the day, it's incredible. When nobody thought that he would turn up and even bowl... <laughs> Shamar Joseph I'm talking about on, on day four of the test match to the fact that he then destroys Australia's middle and lower order. It was unbelievable to be a part of it. Uh, and like you said, I mean, England almost 200 runs behind on first innings in India. Nobody comes back from that. No. Ollie Pope, 200. Uh, but the women's game, South Africa, everything was stacked against them as well. But they were yes. pretty clinical. They were clinical in a run chase when it looked like Australia got a wicket at the right time and then... We've seen South Africa falter before, but they were clinical. It was, it was a great day of cricket. Just on the women, so the deciding T20 international is tonight. Australia can't lose, surely. <laughs> well, I, I don't see it happening, but you look at the way the South Africans went about that chase mm. the other day. They were clinical and they were able to just get settled in and, and pace the innings in a way that we haven't probably seen yeah. at least consistently from South Africa for a long but time. But how big would it be if they lost? If Australia lost a series at home, they lost to the West Indies in a, in a match last year, they lost the India Test. So the world is starting to catch up, and I think that's a good thing. But well, they can't strange. lose at home, surely. They, they don't lose at home, do they? <laughs> so it would be a huge story. There's no doubt about it. I, I'm really confident that the Australian senior players in particular will stand up in this one, but it's... Pressure starting to mount on them just because they haven't been winning to the extent we're used to. It's also not the end of the world. Yeah. T20 cricket is brutally hard to be consistent. I mean, if, if you go above 50% win rate as a T20 team, you're, you're an exceptional team. Mm. Australia, like that, that's unsustainable to continue to go <laughs> as, as, to the levels that they have for such a long time. As I say, I think it's a great thing for the world of cricket. Just back yeah. on the test, surely we need to get rid of two test series and the concept of retaining trophies. It just didn't look right. No, it didn't look right, and, and I agree with you. I think all test series should be odd numbers at least. That, that way, 
I mean, even if there's rain, you, uh, if the best team wins two, that, that's okay, but you can't control the weather. But just having two out-and-out test matches, I think, is um, it's not ideal for a start, but it's probably just expecting that the home team would retain the trophy. Mm. And then we move on to the ODIs. So the first ODI for Australia West Indies is on Friday at the MCG. Is there a little bit more interest in this now that the West Indies won that test, do you think? Yeah, I think there's a bit of sizzle about it now. I honestly think that the West Indies, they're coming off two white ball series wins in uh, home conditions earlier in the in last, uh, sorry, the middle of last year. So they come in with form in T20, but particularly one-day cricket, which is really important. I, I think this series is alive and kicking on the back of what an amazing test match we've just seen at the Gabba. I'm super excited about these three ODIs. And I'm fascinated as well. You captained a lot in white ball cricket. Yes, you've got incredible tournaments like World Cups, mm. but you've also got times like this summer where you don't have your best bowling attack at your disposal. Still plenty of stars playing, particularly batters. How is it as a captain when you get the second lot of bowlers or different players coming through? Is it tough? Well, it's not tough. It's just a little bit different. And I think what's great about it is you you start to future-proof the Australian cricket team because there will become a time when Stark, Cummins, Hazelwood aren't all available. And then I think if that happens around the same time or there's a couple of injuries, then you've got a, a new bowling unit going into a World Cup and then that that's not ideal either. So I think from this point of view to get as many games under the belt of guys who, who you expect to be the next rung of players to take over from the big three, uh, I think that that's the most important thing. And it, it energises the group, especially guys who have played a lot of test cricket or they've been away for so long. You start to get a little bit flat and the, the young guys coming, they energise the group. They drive all the, all the um, fun around the place. So that's what you need at times too. Well, I think you get the feeling that there's plenty going on in the world of cricket and plenty more coming up on Around the Wicket. Michael Clark to join us next to talk more about that extraordinary finish at the Gabba where even skipper Pat Cummins had a smile on his face despite losing. That was fantastic. They've created a couple of new superstars that we didn't know about before the series. And as a cricket fan, as a Test Match cricket fan, um, yeah, there's a part of me that's was happy to watch. Why take one vacation with the family when you could take all of them? With Royal Caribbean, you don't just go to the beach. You visit a private island and race down the tallest water slide in North America. You don't just go for a road trip. You ATV and zip line through the jungle. You don't just go somewhere new. You rappel down waterfalls and discover ancient temples. Because this isn't just any vacation. This is all the vacations. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry, Bahamas. It's only a kick, a jump, a block, it's only a serve, it's only a tackle, a run, it's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Uh, means everything. I mean, from playing and watching, you know, the legend who's, who's obviously here, um, you know, Brian Lahr and playing in Australia and stuff. And a place where we, we haven't won in a while, in, well, in a long number of years. And to come and with this young group, seven uncapped players, 
um, it's nothing but amazing and special. Uh, obviously, when I met the captain, Craig Barwood, um, as he said, we met on this tour, you know, and he's really amazing. I must say that having a captain like this that doesn't know much about you, just watching you play for a slash cricket, and you know that could believe in you. That's all that I see. Just give me the ball. I'm not. I tell him, play. I'm not coming off. So even if he want me to come off, I would not come off. You know. So, <laughs> you know, I just, you know, I just want to make him proud. Uh, I get to the ground. That will give me some tablet. I don't know what kind of tablet it is, but I just drink it. <laughs> but it works. It actually worked for me. Uh, he was like, um, "You ready? You're starting this morning." I said, "What?" <laughs> I didn't even come with any clothes, you know. So um, I just give a shout out to Jerry real quick, and Jerry was there too. Jerry said, um, can you please go and get his clothes quick? I was in the dressing room. I don't want to talk about this part, but <laughs> I was in the dressing room, my shoes on, bare boxers, and my hat. <laughs> I would always be available to be able to play for the West Indies, no matter how much money it takes or come towards me. So I will always be here to play test cricket. Well, I think we all need to put a hand up on Around the Wicket because last week we predicted potentially all over in two days, including our expert Michael Clark, who is also, by the way, a four-time Alan Border medalist, and it is AB medal and Belinda Clark medal this week. But, pup, sport is all about how it makes you feel, and the West Indian team, particularly Shamar Joseph, certainly made us all feel something. What does a win like that do for West Indies yeah. cricket, do you think? Yeah, it's massive. I think first first things first, I think the uh, the Gabba curators deserve a lot of credit. I think the day before the test match, uh, everybody saw a lot of grass on that pitch. They know what playing day-night day test cricket's like in Australia because we've seen it over the years at the Adelaide Oval. So I think everybody expected if conditions were what was predicted, uh, there was every chance, you know, the test match wasn't going to go uh, the distance. But I think they produced a, a pretty good cricket wicket. Um, there was enough, certainly enough there for, for the bowlers, both quicks and spin. I think we saw Nathan Lyon certainly get a bit of spin and extra bounce. Um, but the quicks dominated. They, they loved it. They loved the conditions. Um, and then we heard, you know, a number of batters throughout the test match and captains both say, if you got in um, and once that ball got a bit softer, it was quite good to bat on. So and I think Smitty probably showed that in the second innings as well. But, yeah, look, it's a massive win for West Indies cricket. Um, I don't want to say it's their greatest ever victory because, you know, the 80s when they seemed to win every single game they played, I think there were some massive wins there as well. And um, even go back before that, I think they had some important wins. But it's a huge victory with uh, the inexperience in Australian conditions against this very experienced Australian team. And uh, I think they've certainly um, deserved the, the praise that they've received for, for a wonderful test match and, and finding a way to, to win this game. Even the skipper, Craig Brathwaite, said this has to be the beginning. Mm. I'm interested as a, a skipper, Finchie, how important is it as a captain in moments like that and the privacy of the sheds to go, remember this feeling? Oh, it's huge because I think the, the emotion of the of the performance will go away after a while. But what they won't ever forget is how they felt when they're sitting there as a group and you're, you're talking about it. And years to come when you're talking about it. But I, I think it's so important for the next 12 months for to try and get the West Indies cricket back on the test map again. And, and this is certainly one huge step in that, in mm. that process. Look, I just think... Someone like Jason Holder, if we think back to you know, what a prominent position he had within this setup, 
not that long ago. How's he feeling right now? I'm hopeful that perhaps, you know, once he's secured his, um, his financial well-being going forward, maybe he looks at returning to this setup because he'd be a huge asset to the lineup. I, I also look at just how emotional all the greats of the West Indian cricket um, set up over the years that were at the ground commentating on the game. I'm talking about Ian Bishop, Brian Lara, Carl Hooper. To see the tears of joy on their faces, I just hope it inspires the next generation. But even, you know, a player like Jason mm. Holder to maybe rethink once he's secured his financial position for his family ongoing, that he maybe has a rethink and maybe looks to come back into the setup. Apart from a captaincy perspective, Pat Cummins, the decision to declare, obviously touch and go, you understood the tactics at the time and they got a wicket, could have perhaps even had two if they took that catch. But then even the fact yeah. that he's smiling and enjoying the West Indian win, which in Alan Border days I don't think would have gone down <laughs> too well. What do you think about it all? I think the the tactics around the game, it's welcome to captaincy, welcome to leadership. You know, you, you take a risk every single day as a, as a leader. Um, and sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. So you, you take the praise, you've got to take the criticism as well. So around that, you know, the declaration, he probably thought taking one or two wickets is more important than 10 or 20 extra runs at the end of the game. I think as an Australian cricket supporter, you think, geez, we would have loved an extra 10 or 20 runs, but that's the game, that's the way it goes. So I don't think you should stress that. The comments after the game are an interesting one. Um, I, I think Paddy's really showing where... You know, his words or his attitude towards uh, West Indies, the way they played and the talent that's been produced, uh, I think shows where society is today, to be honest. You're right. You go, can you imagine Alan Border or Steve Waugh praising the opposition after losing oh. or being happy? I, 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 don't, I don't think so. I don't think I can ever imagine that. So... But, but I think in general, you know, I think about through my career, I remember coming into an Australian team that got criticised for being too tough. You know, it was borderline, oh, this team's too arrogant mm. because they're hard asses on the field and they won all the time. And now we're having a conversation around, yeah. is Paddy being too nice or is this Australian team too nice? So it probably sums up more where society is and what do we want as a cricket fan? Do you want the players to be disappointed and um you know, heartbroken and, and not compliment the opposition or do you want to hear what, what Paddy just said? I think that's up to the individual. Um, for me, I probably feel Paddy's words uh, were going to be said by every single fan of cricket. I, I don't know if the Australian captain needed to, to, to praise. He could have praised, you know, you always congratulate the opposition and you pay your respects. But, yeah, I, I don't know if I would have been happy sitting there watching, you know, an opposition fast bowler take seven of my wickets to win the game for his country. I would have been devastated. But I understand what he was saying. I know what he was yeah. trying to get across. And he's right. West Indies, it's great for West Indies cricket. They've produced a young superstar. Um, and now the key is, I've heard you guys talk about earlier on the program, it's just about trying to keep this group together. Um, and, you know, imagine if they were all out, back out here in four years' time, this same squad. It'd be, it'd be amazing for Test Cricket, great for West Indies, but also, you know, exactly what we're talking about. Prioritise Test Cricket, make it the priority and the pinnacle. And, you know, try and keep these young players involved in this format. 
And I think that was also in the back of Pat's mind when he said that. He knows that the conversation has been around the potential death of Test cricket. And he knows the bigger picture is that this was a good result for Test cricket. And also Pat, who's just won ICC Cricketer of the Year, he's red-hot favourite probably for an Alan Border medal this week. He has been consistent within the character of who he is, which is perhaps more important than being consistent across the course of Australian cricket. What do you think? Oh, 100%, because as soon as you're not genuine to yourself, everybody else around can see it, and that's when you start to lose guys along the way. He's been 100% genuine to himself the whole way through. Uh, he makes no apologies about about the way that he is captain of Australia. Compare that to everybody else who's done the job. Yes, it's slightly different, but it's a great thing, I, I think. Pup, Steve Smith, 91 not out, so close to single-handedly getting Australia across the line, carrying his bat in just his second test as opener, tough to the very yeah. end. But he has copped a bit of criticism of perhaps not protecting the tail-enders a little bit more. What are your thoughts on that tactically? Uh, I thought he was brilliant in the second innings. Uh, I think there's a lot of talk around Smitty opening the batting and how he was going to go, so it was nice. I think, you know, I, I'm, I, well, I think a lot of people have played with Steve Smith and know how hard he works. It was a matter of time before he was going to make runs, no matter what number he bats. But I think for him it's a bit of a, you know, monkey off his back sort of feeling. Um, Batting with the tail, I think it's a tough one. I think it comes down to who your tail enders are as well. You know, you look at Pat Cummins scored runs in the first innings. Mitchell Stark has scored runs through his career. So has Nathan Lyon. Oh, it's hard to – you can't blame Smitty. He he batted beautifully. And if anything, putting faith in your teammates, that's, that's a strength, not a weakness. Um, the only thing, the only thing that I thought sitting and watching was he probably could have taken Sharma Joseph's end that because he was ripping blokes pegs out with his extra speed. I think he probably could have taken all six balls up that end and backed his tail to the other end. Um, but again, easier said than done. He was taking, you know, four balls and on the fifth ball getting a single. So he was trying to take as much strike as possible. Um, and the old theory, I heard a couple of people say, oh, mate, he should have just hit a six and a four. Well, yeah, if only the game was that easy. <laughs> <laughs> No worries. Surely it is that easy. Come on. Oh, I, I agree with Pup. Yeah, I think no. you, you risk the, the risk of two balls exposing Josh Hazelwood. If he doesn't get a single off the last ball, it exposes him for six. Yeah. So, um, at, at regardless of which end, I think that that probably would have been too much for Josh Hazelwood anyway. So, uh, I, I think he went about it the right way. Just couldn't quite get over the line. Manus Labashain is another one who hasn't had a great summer, certainly didn't have a great series up against the West Indies. And considering the lofty standards that he set for himself at test level, have you noticed something <clears throat> that he needs to be working on technically? Well, I think the thing from Marnus, he's, he's set a pretty high standard, averaging 60 in test cricket, and now what, he averages 50. So he's still, you know, you average 50 in test cricket, you're, you're in the great category, put it that way. So he's a wonderful player, very gifted. I think he's just going through one of those phases like, you know, a lot of players do. The more you play, the more teams work you out. Um, you know, you're checking your game. You're, you're going through different stages of your life as well. The only thing I can see technically is he just looks to be squaring up a little bit with his right shoulder. So mainly the balls that are that back of a length, instead of staying really side on like he does and, and back foot defends the ball, you know, to, to cover or to point, um, or even drops it at his feet. He's just squaring up a little bit with that with that shoulder. 
And that way he's playing a little bit in front of himself and he's edging it to, you know, a, a second, third gully sort of area. But, again, he's such a good player. Uh, he'll go away now. He'll work on that before New Zealand. You can't write Marnus off. Like I say, he's batting at number three, which is one of the toughest positions in test cricket as well. Don't be surprised if he comes out against New Zealand and he's the leading run scorer. I think he's very talented. He's a great asset to that team. He's awesome in the field as well. Um, So, yeah, I think, like I said, a lot of players or just about every top-class batsman goes through a stage like this. Now it's up to him to to do the work, um, probably look at some footage, but also feel. Like, he'd be able to feel that he's squaring up. So, yeah, he'll. Um, I'm sure he'll get back in the nets, do some work, and he'll be ready to rock come New Zealand. And I think what that does, you're talking about his back shoulder coming around, that just gets you in a no position to be able to attack the bowling or play an attacking mm. shot because every you lose all your weight, you lose all your momentum. And I think that's been highlighted in his strike rate as well. You, you get into a defensive frame of mind where you think about getting a big score and you think about survival first and, yeah, I'll cash mm. in later on as, yeah. as the bowling gets easier. But the wickets that they've been playing on, you, you don't get that opportunity to cash in. It's, it's not yeah. like they, they flatten out and become absolute roads and you can bat for two days on it. We just don't see that anymore. So that, that, that's definitely something for him to work on. Love some hardcore cricket chat on it's around the wicket, getting the best <laughs> in the game to talk us through. Finchie, you've crunched the numbers, though, in the middle order woes. In the last 12 months since Australia toured India till now, what have you found? Well, I've just found that there's a... Con- uh, that for one, they've made 700s out of 15 test matches, which that, that's not what you want from your, your middle order. And, and I think that the bowlers have been the ones that have got them out of jail a few times, but also Usman Khawaja. And if yeah. you look at Mitch Marsh's numbers, he, he's averaging 52 at a strike rate of 70. He's also like pulling his weight in that regard. But when you look down there, Smith averaging 40, Marnus 33, uh, Travis Head 35, Alex Carey 25, Cameron Green 27. Like, they're not great numbers for a middle order mm. that, that, that I think have got so much talent. We talk about them being, being some really very high-talented players. So for me, I think it's just the, the hundreds column is a concern for me, the fact that guys are getting starts, and that's reflected in the numbers. It's, yeah. it's not like they're averaging six. If you have a bad series in two tests like Marnus, that's okay. Like it, everyone will have that at some point. But there's, there's just not enough hundreds. There's, there's a few cracks that have been papered over, I think, from Usman Khawaja and the bowlers who have who've done a, a brilliant job for a long time. I don't think Marnus is the only one that's getting caught out squaring up a little bit either. No. And that can be a, a bit of a result of batting on some wickets that are bowler-friendly. You just get a, a little bit out of shape. So they're going to have to do some hard work before they get over to New Zealand to just get a bit more sight on a few of them and just pl- start playing a touch later because over in New Zealand there's going to be seeming swinging conditions and New Zealand are very good at extracting the most out of those pitches. And as you pointed out, wonderful to see that the Quicks got through the entire summer without needing to take a break or rotate through and they're looking to play that test against the the two test Mm. series against New Zealand as well, so that's great news. Pup, thanks so much for your time. Appreciate your thoughts as always. We will continue as well right throughout those tests in New Zealand, so make sure you stay tuned to Around the Wicket, but stay tuned on this episode as well because after this short break we're going to take a look that incredible England win. Yep, I know, we have to talk about it. Hey, 
it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. After trailing by 190 runs, England won by 28 against India in India. Ollie Pope was sensational, 196. But Tom Hartley on debut, 7 for 62. A remarkable effort. Where does this one sit, Ferg, in the context of world cricket? We don't see India concede a first innings lead like this ever and then lose. I just find it absolutely extraordinary that England have been able to turn this around. Ollie Pope, who hasn't had a great record in second innings um, throughout his career so far, was able to turn all of that around with an enormous 196. Deserved 300. But the manner in which he went about it, he talked about it post game that a reverse sweep for him was just a safer option as a forward defence in that second innings and he backed his game plan in and it came off something astronomically successfully and the couple of little ramps that he did straight over the keeper's head Mm. it was stuff we hadn't seen too much of and the the fact that the setup in England at the moment has enabled young players to come in and play with that brashness and, and that energy and, and that freedom is is something that the whole world is is looking at and going, geez, do we need to implement some of this into our game? So on that very point, we've all had a laugh about baseball over the time and, and a lot of us think that they're just playing like Australia did 20 years ago and now bringing it into English cricket. But this Stokes-McCullum era, is this the result that really stamps their authority on the brand of cricket they're trying to play? Well, if I'm not... Mistaken. That's four test wins in a row in Asia <laughs> for England. And that, that's incredible. Unbelievable. That, that doesn't happen very often, uh, especially like from the Western teams. They, they really struggle going there. And, and like you said, Ferg, 190-run deficit. There's no way back from there. India just squeeze you. And, and it's, it's exciting to watch. It's a, I love test cricket in the subcontinent, particularly India, when the wickets are spinning. You yeah. can't turn it off. But I think the fact that England embraced that challenge and see it as a bit of fun. We're, we're, we're going to take it on. We'll fight fire yeah. with fire. If they, if they produce spinning wickets, we're going to try and smack it. So I think that that's great. really is. And let's not forget about Tom Hartley on debut as well. With seven for 62, it is on debut. Just extraordinary, really. Um, His first ball went for six. Yeah. It went for 30 off his but, first two overs. Yeah, yeah he and brought he up a ton a in the first innings and there were memes about him that's bringing right. up a ton on Dabu to bounce back mentally. That's, that's some sort of mental fortitude. That's right. His name was all over the papers. He was under pressure, not just him, but the side was. Uh, to come out in the second innings and nail the line and length like he did, which is something that's not easily easily done when it's your first time over there in under the pressure and the heat of Test Match cricket, he nailed it from... Basically, ball one in that second innings, looking at the highlights and then watching the majority of the, the day, it was extraordinary. But that's what baseball does. They never allow any negativity into their change room, mm. whether it be external noise or internal chat. Everything's positive. So I think the, the style of game is one thing, and then mm. you've got the attitude, which is the other one. And, and Brendan McCullum, I've played under him. He's an ultra-positive person. He sees the positive in everyone and everything. And that, that, that's what it'll be about for Tom Hartley as well. That, that people will be patting him on the back saying, you bowled brilliantly. Yeah. Went for 100, doesn't matter. 
and then he comes out and performs that like that, I think because everything's so positive in the environment. And this is going to be extraordinary to watch to see how it unfolds because now there's no Jadeja, he's been ruled out, no Kale Rahul, he's been ruled out, mm. and still no Virat Kohli. So he's all back of for a the sudden, third test, Virat? that's the yeah. plan at the moment. He's out for personal reasons, the other two injured. So at the moment, it, it's, it's going to be really fascinating to see how this unfolds because England have the huge emotional win and now they've got a few injuries against India, a very different outlook. So we'll continue to talk about that series on Around the Wicked as well, but after this short break, we need to take on the short stuff. This episode is brought to you by Hyperice, the leader in advanced warm-up and recovery technology. They have tons of innovative products, like Venom-heated wearables to help soothe sore back muscles, Normatec compression boots to speed up recovery and increase circulation, and Hypervolt massage guns to improve mobility. Loved by athletes like Naomi Osaka and Erling Holland. Try them yourself. Get 10% off your order with the code MOVE at hyperrice.com. Time for the short stuff on Around the Wicket. Day four, an exciting test match, but a pretty poor crowd. Yes, there was a lot of weather around, unfortunate humidity as well. But should day four test match tickets be heavily discounted in this day and age? That should be a gold coin donation or mm. $5, whatever it is. That money goes to charity because I don't think uh, the amount of ticket sales that have been sold is, is significant enough anyway. Couldn't agree more. Uh, as soon as it looks like there's going to be rain around the next day or the game may finish early, I think the administration need to look ahead, plan, and and then promote that. Encourage that people thing. to come through Get the down gates. to the ground. Sinclair's celebration. Is it the best you've ever seen? Best I've seen. Brett Lee was outstanding for a long period <laughs> With of time. The chainsaw. Oh, the chainsaw <laughs> had come out, but it's the best I've seen. Who wins the Allen Border medal? Pat Cummins. Pat Cummins. And the Belinda Clark medal? Ash Gardner. Beth Mooney. Oh, I think Ash Gardner as well. And just quietly, speaking of medals, worst player of the match medal ever we've ever seen, the KFC bucket. What is going on there? Yeah, I hope Spencer Johnson gets a a lifetime supply of KFC. (laughs) Join us next time on Around the Wicket. (laughs) 